Are supply chains serious about committing to good environmental, social, and governance practices? They'd better be. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The acronym is ESG. It stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And those three letters encapsulate an enormous range of ethical practices that businesses are expected to engage in today. The problem, though, is how to get there. On the show today, I'm speaking with two experts in ESG. Alan Amling, Distinguished Fellow at the Global Supply Chain Institute of the University of Tennessee, and Simon Knowles, Chief Marketing Officer of Mainpoint. They are the authors of a white paper on the importance of ESG to corporate leadership and supply chains. In that paper, they discuss not only the ethical considerations of embracing ESG principles, but the business benefits as well. And they offer advice on how companies can get senior leadership buy-in on their ESG journey. Here's my conversation with Alan Amling and Simon Knowles. Alan Amling, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. And Simon Knowles, welcome as well. Thank you, Bob. Great to be here. Thank you. So we're going to be talking about ESG, environmental, social, and governance in the supply chain, a very hot topic these days. And I want to start by directing a question to Alan, just in general, Alan. How would you describe the current level of awareness among corporate leadership of ESG-related issues? Yeah, that's a great question to start out. I would say it's a work in progress. I think the general level of awareness is growing, but it's not where it needs to be. I think the pandemic, the social unrest over this past summer has definitely heightened the level of awareness in companies. I know that MIT did a survey of 2,400 executives just recently. And a third responded that the pandemic drove them to increase their company's commitments to supply chain sustainability. And Gartner had a similar survey, and it was about the same. It was about a third of executives. So a third is good. A third is not 100%, which is really where we need it to be. It does vary. It varies by geographic location. Generally, European executives are much more aware, kind of led by the Netherlands, but other European countries in Asia, Hong Kong and Taiwan have relatively high awareness, as does the U.S. and Canada. The other end of that spectrum are countries like Peru, Russia, Saudi Arabia, the ESG risks in those Countries are a little higher. They haven't taken quite as much action. And then it does vary by sector as well. There's some sectors that are just more impacted by ESG. We happen to be in one in supply chain, oil and gas, agriculture, whereas healthcare, finance and real estate, software, not quite as much. So it does vary. And I think it's getting better. But the bottom line is it's a work in progress. Simon, what's your perspective on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll refer to a, a survey from Willis Tales Watson recently. They interviewed 170 board members in over 20 countries, and they also did a survey targeting non-employee directors. And, and there are basically five key themes that have come out from that research. Firstly, there's a significant increase in commitment to ESG issues. That probably doesn't surprise us. There's a stronger commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion. There's also a drive towards environmental and climate issues as being a top priority for boards and directors. Alignment with executive pay is becoming a hotter topic and a greater awareness across the broader parts of, of the business environment. And also the board and directors are really starting to to support the long-term value creation opportunities related to what ESG really offers organizations. And then let me just build on what Alan said about maybe some differences in regions. From a Europe and, and North American perspective, again, just building on the research from Willis Towers Watson, they found that approximately 11% of the top 350 European companies have carbon dioxide emission reduction targets in their management performance indicators and incentives. Now, that compares to only 2% in the US S&P 500 companies. So you can see quite a discrepancy there, which is quite interesting. ESG, environmental, social, and governance, that is a very broad category. E, S, and G, each of them is a distinct thing that requires a certain amount of effort to address. So Simon, I'm wondering, what are the crucial elements? What are the aspects of ESG that companies most need to be paying attention to? I know the answer would be theoretically all of them, but are there any that are particularly lagging or requiring particular attention within that extremely broad category? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Bob. I mean, from a pure ESG perspective, I think that depends on what's the most impactful to the business and the stakeholders within each industry environment. And I think Alan just touched on that. Clearly, from an energy market perspective, there's a rapid shift into new markets such as renewables, biodiversity from an environmental perspective. Whereas if you actually look at the business services sector, the perspective and emphasis may be a little bit more on the social diversity and governance. I know of one particular company, that a smaller consulting firm that was bought by a larger consulting firm, a major driver of that was given that smaller firm had quite an ethnic diversity, diverse workforce. So there are different emphases across the board. And I think you quite rightly said there are broad opportunities across the environmental, social and governance. So maybe I could just touch on that. Clearly, in the environmental space, there's energy efficiency. There's the whole greenhouse gas emissions, the water management aspects. From a social perspective, the diversity and inclusion aspects, working conditions, slavery is a hot topic at the moment, again, very strong in CPG. And from a governance point of view, the whole risk management, executive pay, cybersecurity has become very hot. Well, okay. Alan, I'm wondering, again, though, is it necessary or possible to prioritize among all of those aspects of ESG, or should companies just be moving forward on all of those fronts simultaneously? Is that possible? Actually, I think the worst thing you can do is try to boil the ocean. If you try to do everything all at once, you're going to do nothing very well. I think companies do get overwhelmed. And one of the things Simon touched on earlier is that there isn't one best supply chain for every company. There's not one best ESG strategy for every company. Yes, it's about doing the right thing and lowering your risk profile and driving bottom line results, but it also goes to beyond your customer to your employees. One of the biggest issues that has just been punching us in the face all year in supply chain is labor. 
And one thing that we know for sure is that especially millennials care about ESG. And when they're making choices between companies, we just saw figures about how many people are leaving jobs. One of the things that they're looking for is ethical companies. And ESG is essentially how investors, customers, and employees judge the social and environmental consciousness of an organization. So these things are really important. And depending on what your answers are to those questions from your stakeholders, is going to tell you where to go. The other thing that I would say, though, is just like with any investment, go for the low-hanging fruit, right? There's a, a lot of areas where you can be investing in ESG, but there's some things that... It's just a slam dunk. Do it. A lot of the efforts around energy efficiency, right, that's good for the environment. You're using less energy. It typically is going right to your bottom line as well. I would point out a solution that I've talked about for years. I I spent 27 years at UPS, who I think is a leader in this area, on the Orion route planning software. It's great for business. It helps UPS become more efficient, but also pulls millions of gallons of gas and carbon out of the network, saving billions of dollars. Can I just add to that angle in in terms of bringing this to life? I've got a particular case study I wouldn't mind just bringing to life in terms of how one company was faced with some challenges. In terms of real-life example of where ESG has been a key part of a drive for improvement, there's one major energy company we were working for, and one of their core of five values was sustainability, but that really didn't translate into action across their supply chain. And it was in their field logistics division where they had a flight services business, where they were also finding that they were being inefficient And uh, there was a cost challenge there. So our approach to supply chain and ESG improvement is to take a holistic approach because you really have to do that. You have to take a more of a broader, what we call a total value optimization approach. And what we did here was not only help them drive efficiency savings of over 20%, but we also helped them reduce carbon emissions equivalent to 2,173 passenger cars taken off the road and reduce fuel by over 20%. And not only that, it was all about helping them define the metrics for sustainability, set the sustainability targets in aviation, and then really embed those processes into their operations control center. So you can actually drive ESG performance improvement in collaboration with broader supply chain improvement initiatives. In this particular initiative, there was a return of investment of seven to one from an ROI perspective. So I think that's that's one area of one organization that was trying to sort of hit two birds with one stone. All right. So you mentioned earlier, I think Alan mentioned earlier, about caring. Clearly, everyone has to care from day one in order to make this happen because after all, this is just the right thing to do. But what I hear you guys telling me, and this is really important to put forward, is making the case for ESG not just because it's morally right, but also because it's good business. How do you make the case for ESG from a business perspective, Alan? Here are the things that I look at. I look at how is ESG going to help you ring the cash register, right? So that's revenue. What's the impact on costs? You put those things together and they equal your profit. And then third, I look at risk mitigation, which is a huge part of what we talk about day in and day out in supply chain. So 
specifically on business, whether you're talking about consumers or or even business to business. This is something that all your listeners are going to be familiar with is that how many contracts have you signed over the last year that didn't have some ESG element or benchmarks built into that contract? And those benchmarks are only going to go up. They're not going to go down. And so your ability to bid for contracts on a B2B basis is going to be increasingly tied to how you are doing hitting ESG benchmarks that are set externally from government as well as your own internal benchmarks. We've seen consumers making ESG a bigger focus, whether fair trade, tuna, for example, coffee, we're seeing government starting to look at if you want to do business in this country, this is something where Simon's from in the UK that they've been talking about, that you have to abide by our ESG regulations. And so that comes into place when you're dealing with things like the deforestation that's happening in South America, which you might not think impacts you, but it does. The other thing is that all of us have extended supply chains, right? Our supply chains stopped being domestic decades ago. Think about all the technology products that you have in your products that have lithium. Where does your lithium come from? Does it come from the Congo? where there are big concerns around child labor and other ethical issues, those are the kind of things that need to be taken into consideration. So you've got revenue, you've got risk management, and then cost is the one that I didn't really hit on yet. And it goes back to my earlier comments. A lot of the ESG efforts that you will have in your company are really around efficiency, especially on the environmental side. And you can have the dual impact of being good for profit and good for the planet. In terms of social, there's been a huge effort in diversity and inclusion, in making sure boards are more diverse. And those things are just nice to have. There has been study after study that has shown that a more diverse leadership team is achieving better outcomes. And so those are the things that I would look for, the tangible things that we always count on around making a business case, revenue, cost, risk reduction. Those are all tied into ESG. Simon, do you agree? ESG, good business? Absolutely. I fully agree with what Alan said in terms of top-line growth. Just look at Tesla in the electric vehicle market. That's a competitive advantage. That's growing into new markets. Cost savings, another example. We talked about fuel efficiencies. There's lower cost of capital with preferential interest rates from loans tied to ESG ratings. So we see that. And then to the third point that Alan mentioned around risk, there are many companies flying blind out there. I mean, I'll just use one example here in the UK around visibility with the fashion retail Boohoo. They actually found that uh, they were exposed last year. They lost 1.5 billion market cap in two days as investors and customers basically balked at reports that workers in their Leicester plant were being paid less than £3.50, that's less than $5 an hour without proper PPE. So that was a major impact of the business of that organisation. So that's the negative. Clearly, the positive is all around top-line growth and cost savings as well. 
Okay, these are all really compelling arguments that both of you are making, but it is a challenge sometimes getting the right people on board in order to participate and move forward with ESG initiatives. So, Simon, in just the few more minutes that we have remaining, I'd like to hear from you and then from Alan is just how you do go about getting buy-in from senior leadership and getting buy-in even more importantly from your investors who need to know what the company's doing is important to their own investment down the line. How do you get those people to buy into the whole effort? Yeah, sure. Well, I think it starts with awareness and education. As Alan started at the beginning, awareness is increasing and education is key around the risks and opportunities. So there is an element of carrot and stick with ESG, right? And you've got to understand the stakeholder community, understand what your customer demand is doing, the climate change drive, the social activism. And that's starting to impact the investor scrutiny that's going on that actually a lot of investors are now scrutinizing the boards and the CEOs on earnings calls around, okay, what are you doing about ESG? In our view, really, we see that it has to be owned from the top down, from the board through to the CEO. And instead of the old traditional, maybe a sustainability department, which may be operating in a functional silo, is absolutely critical that a sustainability improvement program and journey is sponsored by the CEO. And we that we have one example client we, we're aware of that includes the CEO, the members of the board and the head of sustainability and various functional leaders across the business to drive that cross-functional alignment and buy-in right the way through the business. One other example from Europe is quite an innovative thinking out there in terms of driving ESG across the business. One company's board in Europe actually urged its management to cap its profit margin at a certain level. And actually by doing so, aims to encourage the management to invest in ESG and sustainability priorities, which in turn should increase the company's long-term value. So they're seeing ESG investment as more of an investment rather than a cost. Alan, a final word from you on the buy-in issue? The key is, is ESG a hobby or is it core to your business? And I think that goes to what the maturity level of companies are. And I think right now, I think in many companies, ESG is still a hobby. One of the things you need to look for, do ESG elements end up on executives' balance scorecard or other performance metrics? If it's not part of how they're measured and evaluated, you're not going to get the kind of change that you need to move the needle. And I think that's where we're seeing the biggest change. But that's the one thing that I look for. If you don't have it on the balance scorecard or other performance measures of executives, it's still a hobby at your company. I want to thank both of you for taking the time with me to talk about this essential issue of environmental, social, and governance, ESG. Alan Amling of the University of Tennessee and Thrive and Advance, thank you for being with me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks. It's been great. And Simon Knowles of Mainpoint, thank you so much as well for being with us today. That's a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. That was my conversation with Alan Amling of the Global Supply Chain Institute and Simon Knowles of Mainpoint talking about why global companies must embrace ESG principles. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. And also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? 
Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.